Now, gentlemen. The defendant is not guilty. But somebody in this courtroom is. Unmitigated temerity. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to season three of the OK Gatsby. Don't know, Kevin. Just we're not going to name it. The, the season isn't named yet. We're reading To Kill a Mockingbird. To Kevin. Kill a Mockingbird. How are you feeling about it? I'm feeling good. I uh, we read these first two chapters, and I forgot how much I really like this book. So we're at we're at an odd place where, like we've talked about before, you've never read the book. I have not read To Kill a Mockingbird. It's um, I've I've heard I've heard a lot about it. I've yes. heard uh, it's uh, it's mentioned often. What there when I was in grad school one time, we were choosing to do like a project about like you're like making a uh, what do they call it? lesson plan, mm. and they go just make it about To Kill a Mockingbird. You're gonna end up teaching that book at some point. Just make it about To Kill a Mockingbird. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not gonna have to just read To Kill a Mockingbird <laughs> <laughs> just for this. Um, but yeah, it's like it's it's the I think it's I mean it's regarded as the most widely taught novel in. High school English, I guess. Yeah, I think it's it's like a teacher's like it's like a perfect book for teachers because it's got all the history that like it probably coincides with like your the history program is teaching about the civil rights movement right. and, and like yeah I and I I read it I read it in middle school and then I had to read it in high school and uh, you were assigned it twice. I was assigned it twice. I'm not sure I was ever assigned it. I, I cannot remember ever having been assigned it. So I don't even have the even like the really the spark notes um in my head of this book i don't really even have like the chronology of what happens like usually if i have like like with jane Eyre, for example i have mm-hmm. not read it but i have been supposed to have read it twice <laughs> and so like i've i have i know the story of jane Eyre front to back i have not read the prose of it but yeah. i know the story you've of heard it. all the lectures on it this i do not have um, much. And I was trying to recall. <laughs> I was like, "What do you got on To Kill a Mockingbird? Like, what are the actual things that you remember about it?" And I was like, "Okay, well, obviously Atticus Finch. You know, he's like a hero lawyer. He's he's on trial defending a black man from some crime, some kind of crime that the black guy did, and he's defending him." And I was like, "And there's Scout, Scout." <laughs> That's I I have, I have I have basically nothing besides like a trial and some racial overtones in a southern area, place. southern small town. Yeah. So I, uh, yeah. So this will be interesting because uh, I'll have to be careful not to try and jump too far ahead. I'll try and keep it within the chapter, but it'll also be interesting to see you like an, like analyze yeah. a book on the fly. Because <laughs> usually, like, well, well, I mean, you like scholars will like read a book first and then they'll go and like all right now that i know what the whole book is and now do the close reading yeah so now interesting to see like if you pick up patterns on the first time reading it through and i don't care if you i don't i don't really believe in spoiling so um Mm -hmm. i believe it's like a journey not the destination type thing so like if you want to just like if you say something like well what uh what crime the the african-american guy did you can just say that or whatever you know what i mean like you don't need to like don't withhold it in order to like, yeah, to preserve some sort of yeah. If if a purity. point comes up that's necessary, I'll bring it up. Yeah, um, uh, but yeah, it's I I I like it a lot. Uh, the part of the problem I had with reading it was that uh, I'm worried that, and I talked to you this about how warm the prose feels, and I was worried that that was just me projecting like 
being excited about remembering like being in seventh grade and reading <laughs> this book and and that, like really loving it and like oh you loved it yeah no loved, yeah you talk about you talk about your experience you talk about your experience with the book yeah I uh, I I read it a couple times in middle school I uh, I went through two huge reading phases and the one was in like end of elementary school into middle school where I read a lot of books and then the other one was in college but this was a big book that I read a bunch of times in uh, middle school. A this, bunch of times? Yeah, probably like four times I read this wow. book. Uh, and it was probably the youngest, like, gr- like first, like, great book or, like, classical. Classic. Yeah, that I read and really enjoyed. Uh, but it's uh, – we commented a little bit earlier where you weren't, like, blown away by the sparkly pro. Well, like, yeah, the first thing I said, like, in the kitchen when we were about to record, I was like, it's not as pretty as Great Gatsby or Catcher in the Rye. It doesn't really, like, get me on the on the phrase level. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you pointed out a few phrases that were pretty, and there are, there's some stuff going on with that. But right away, I think prose, it's not as juicy. No. Not as not as like chocolatey. You don't, you don't yeah. want to hold it in your mouth for as long. Not a lot of champagne in this book. Yeah. Um, yeah. The uh, But I think you used a good term that I like that it's, it's written like a big old yarn. It's a first-person book. Folksy. Uh, it's interesting that all three of the books we've read now will be first-person. This this okay, probably has right. more in common with uh, first person narrators. First person narrator more in common with Gatsby because it's like a first person narrator who probably isn't like the main character. Yeah, um, it feels actually yeah no actually it feels even even the little I have it feels like kind of like Nick Carraway in that it's like a distant but involved mm-hmm. narrator whereas like Holden is the protagonist and the narrator. Mm-hmm. S- Scout, I mean. I can already tell, like, Atticus seems a bit like a protagonist and Scout is the narrator, like, kind of just looking on. Yeah. Although, not a lot of Atticus in the first two chapters. No. Uh, he's a very reserved man, and he doesn't really make a big impression in these first couple chapters. Obliquely referred to as reading a book or... <laughs> yeah. Hating his job. <laughs> they call him Atticus, even though he's their dad. Yeah. <laughs> it's very strange. He's both referred to and addressed as Atticus. They say Atticus to his face also. Mm. I would notice that. Okay. But yeah, I was uh I was reading the Wikipedia and what's interesting is that so this is like uh her her one and done. And it's hard to Until do Until the sequel. I'm yeah. just kidding. Well we should address that. Yeah. Uh so it was one which is like very few times do you write it, your your classic novel on your first try and then uh, never write again. She never wrote another novel. And so I, I was reading about the Go Set a Watchman because I thought we should talk about it. Go Set a Watchman. It's been revealed since its release uh, that they went through her papers and her lawyer and a couple scholars pointed out that Go Set a Watchman was just the first draft of To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, the the first draft of it was a lot of just anecdotes about this small town. And the premise of the first draft was a woman who lives in New York goes home to her small town in Alabama, okay. thinks about her childhood and tries to come to terms with like the good and the bad of her small town. Um, and stuff about Harper Lee, uh, she moved to New York after she like left college, Was a f- worked at an airline and just wrote fiction on the Upper East Side. <laughs> worked at an airline? Yeah, she did airline tickets. And then I oh, okay. like this story a lot. Her friends... Uh, she had been writing a lot. She got a few stories published, and her friends all got together, like I guess coworkers and a few like rich New Yorkers got together, and they gave her a year's salary to take so she could take off work and focus on the book. Oh my god! Yeah, 
Uh, wow. The pressure that, that third day, you know, the first two days you're like, I'm writing the third day. You're like, I don't really feel like writing today. It's like, well, your friends all paid you <laughs> a <laughs> yeah. year's salary. Yeah. To finish chase your dreams. The pressure. That's yeah. probably why she didn't do another one. Yeah. I mean, she said she was, she wanted to get this one done and she wanted to have her viewers politely hate it. Just go, all right. This was a, not not for me. Wow! And yeah. then so she's like she could recover and move on, but she said the instant recognition was worse for her. Like it drove her insane. Yeah. Oh my god. She's like I can't follow up an instant bestseller that's also a Pulitzer Prize winner. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> I can never do that. Uh, and here's my other book. <laughs> but yeah, so what's interesting about this uh, is that she lived wrote this in New York. And how New York is so, I think it's just because of how American literature works, but New York's in Gatsby, New York is in, in Catcher, and now yeah, New York movie. is like indirectly. So this book is a, a semi-autobiographical, um, and they're uh, all from the perspectives of people who lived in New York <laughs> at some point and are now reflecting on their more, uh, at least Gatsby in, um, actually no, it's just a woman like thinking about her hometown. That's yeah. what this book is. Yeah. I mean, like, sure, she's in New York when she's writing it. Sure. But, like, yeah, I mean, yeah, the New York thing is... I didn't know that yeah. about Harper Lee. She lived on uh, 82nd Street. Pretty high up for my taste. I got a nosebleed <laughs> above... <laughs> I got a nosebleed above uh, 15th, really. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I like this book a lot. I'm going to try and be... I'll be... Probably biased it when we uh, when we argue about it because because you'll be like you'll you'll be biased what against uh, the black I, I'm guy in the want trial. You, I want yeah <laughs> yeah I Which uh, racially right yeah I'm racially racial? biased yeah. so when I read this book <laughs> it'll be tough uh, <laughs> but I I am gonna want you to like it and I think right. I have a bad habit of like I'll 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 almost take this a little too personally because it's like you do with like any band yeah what i do any band <laughs> or anything that i like in general is True. that i have to show everyone and under make sure they at least understand the craft wise what is going on <laughs> you're an evangelist i respect that um yeah. i mean i'm sure i'll like it i mean it's like i, I love literature i love i mean yeah. i already do feel i feel that warmth already like my experience reading these two chapters is i feel that warmth i feel the yarn you like um the 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 funny story like it's like that kind of thing where one detail gets someone into a story mm. like the way it opens is beautiful yeah. yeah it starts with uh when he was nearly 13 my brother jim got his arm badly broken at the elbow when it healed and jim's fears of never being able to play football were assuaged he was seldom self-conscious about his injury his left arm was somewhat shorter than his right when he stood and walked the back of his hand was right to his angle's body his thumb parallel to his thigh he couldn't have cared less so long as he could pass and punt and then the old, the old narrator yarn. When enough years had gone by to enable us to look back in them, we sometimes discussed the events leading to his accident. Yeah. So like, the yeah, uh, the mild conceit of this is just like a woman remembering how her brother broke his arm. <laughs> and this, this is what I'll say. Not that literature should be compared too uh, intensely, but while the the pro, there's not going to be a lot of sentences you put the book down and go, "Wow, what a piece of poetry." Yeah. yeah. She does a great job of painting. Beautiful portraits of characters. Yeah, that are that they feel real, and you will you'll root for them, and you'll root against them. Uh, and this is probably the most carefully, like, plotted of like, oh, things build and the story, it, things happen in the story. It, there's not, and very deliberately set up as a ten year old child so that everything has to happen on the surface, and everything has to be interpreted from detail and stuff like that. Where it's like a lot of external things happening and. It's it's a very she does a good dance of 
what would a 10-year-old child or yeah. starts out she's four, four-year-old child understand about her, the external world of one of the most relevant historical areas of the time? Yeah. So I think it is an achievement, even though I, I agree sometimes the sentences are just uh, almost have like a history book. But I would say like Scout, I have a full picture of Scout over over just two chapters. It's like the it's like a precocious young girl, yeah, you know, in a in a man, in a man's world, kind of, yeah, in a small thing. conservative town, right. uh, unaware of her limitations, and so that gets her in trouble. Yeah, I uh, I I really like uh, this book, but we can move. We keep it uh, started like we talked about the first sentence. The conceit of this book is Jim broke his arm. Yeah, yeah. Here's the story about Jim breaking his arm. Or it's like the events to him having broken his arm, right? So we'll see because there was, you know, is it this? And he goes, no, it's, I'll start with Boo Radley. Yes. So it, it starts two yarns at the same time. And yeah. It's essentially, I didn't even notice this before, but like, all right, here's what the whole book is on the surface about. Yeah. And it's so such a smart little like uh, move of, yeah. Uh, it said it started long before that. He said it began the summer Dill came to us when Dill first gave us the idea of making Boo Radley come out. So that's what the story is. How did my brother bro- break his arm? And remember when we tried to make Boo Radley come out? Yeah. <laughs> and oh yeah, we accidentally touched on some of the most relevant themes of its era. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah, like which is yeah, it's much better than being like you know the sun rose in an Alabama town, and I you know like a, yeah. like just a sort of a general. You know, painting a portrait of the words. It's like it's like no. I have a story. I have a story to tell from a point of view. It's not general. It's yeah. specific and narrow. It yeah. feels like a rant sitting you down and telling you a story, the crazy family story. Exactly. Uh, so it, be, it begins with, with kind of like a what a sort of a Finch, a sort of Finch family history of the Finches. Yes, uh, and I think it's interesting where like history just establishes history is important to this whole area. They don't forget it. Yeah, uh, they, everyone's known by their what well, their father did and their father's father did. Yeah, they care so much about history that they are ashamed that they don't have a someone in the Battle of Hastings. Yeah, a battle from 1056 in England. <laughs> no, no way, really? No. Yeah. Yes. Are you talking about no? This is no. Yeah, I looked. I mean, maybe there was a civil war about it from Cornwall. Oh, I guess England. Wow. Yeah, he's an England Methodist, and he wasn't in the. But he, I guess that means that he was poor. They didn't have a name. What the battle? I assumed it was a civil war battle. No. Come on, it's not a civil war battle. It's not a civil war battle. I looked it up. It's just not. No, because because uh, why would Simon Finch care about? Because he's he's pre Civil War, so why would he? A he fur trapping apothecary from Cornwall, whose piety was exceeded only by his stinginess. England, Simon was irritated on the by the um. In England, yeah. So the, he's in England. Sorry, yeah. So yeah. this is going back. Okay, so this is almost. Then this is almost satirical, right? That, yeah. That's how. That's yeah. how concerned people are. You're ashamed of. Yeah. Your great, 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 greats. This book's very sarcastic. That's something I didn't notice reading closer at this time that I didn't get. Is like, oh, she's making fun of so many people. <laughs> yeah, Harper Lee is making fun of. I mean, Scout is not being sarcastic, but Harper yeah. Lee is being sarcastic through Scout. Harper yeah. Lee, the sophisticated New Yorker, is making fun of her small town family right right okay yeah uh so yeah this guy uh so it's family this guy bought who's just a a fur trader bought a farm uh there's a quick critical line about slavery uh simon made a pile of practicing medicine but in this pursuit he was unhappy lest he be tempted into doing what he knew was not for the glory of god as the putting on of gold and costly apparel 
So Simon, having forgotten his teacher's dictum on the possession of human chattels, bought three slaves and with their aid established a homestead on the banks of the Alabama River. So right, like very quickly, Scout makes it, the the adult Scout makes it known, like, hey, like it's not Christian. Slavery is not Christian. I don't, and I want to make sure that everyone understands that that's what I believe. Um, and then it's uh, the history of Atticus goes into law. Atticus breaks from the pattern of men who own land, and he's a professional. Uh, and he has a very funny. Not funny, but it is like it sets up kind of the tone of Atticus, who seems to be a very, very sad man. Um, yeah. So, yeah, when, uh, let's see here. Uh, his first two clients were the last two persons hanged in the Macomb County Jail. Atticus had urged them to accept the state's generosity and allowing them to plead guilty to second-degree murder and escape their, with their lives. But they were Haverfords. In Macomb County, a name synonymous with jackass. <laughs> So uh, the Haverfords had dispatched Maycomb's leading blacksmith in a misunderstanding arising from the alleged wrongful detention of a may of a mayor was were imprudent enough to do it in the presence of three witnesses and insisted that the son of a bitch had it coming to him was a good enough defense for anybody. <laughs> they persisted in pleading not guilty to first degree murder, so there was nothing much Atticus could do for his clients except be present at the departure, an occasion that was probably the beginning of my father's profound distaste for the practice of criminal law. So there's uh, two things I want to talk about is that there's a lot of death in these first two chapters, first right. sp- especially for a small town. Uh, right away, it starts with Atticus' career in law, the man who's decided to step out from the farm or the the small plantation or whatever uh, you want to refer to it as, goes to law. His first two clients are the town jackasses who beat a blacksmith to death <laughs> uh, because of a donkey and decided their defense should be the son of a bitch had it coming. Uh, <laughs> and then he just had to like... Uh, watch his first two clients die because there's nothing you can do at that point. Yeah. If they're gonna they plead guilty, right? They're they pled. Yeah, right? they're they pled, like they try to defend. They themselves. pled not guilty. Defend their defense being. <laughs> yeah, he had it coming. Like, yeah, hey, he had it coming. I deserve to kill him. Right. <laughs> and then he's like, "Well, I may I wasted the last five years of my life, <laughs> 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 but I spent a lot of money to become a lawyer, and so now I am trapped." <laughs> Which is such a funny like. First case, you have to basically you have to defend two dumb rednecks, right? And then you have to be present at their hanging. <laughs> <laughs> Watches his career. This is, this is what I want to do with my life. This right is here. what this, he, is it? this is the first time. Uh, yeah. So there's a lot of death in these first two chapters, and it's also there's a lot small little bits about Atticus, whose internal life is very difficult, like famously difficult to read because he's. I mean, it's from his child's perspective, and like. I know. I realized I was like he's supposed to be this main character, but really all we see we see we get like nothing from him. Just like a few like little sentences and like a he reads at night. Yeah, there's a part later where he uh, something crazy happens in town, and his only reaction is mm, mm, mm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like when pressed, yeah. yeah, like he ignores it. He like goes mind your own business, and then and then they're, they're like when pressed or something like that, he's like mm, mm, mm. yeah. Atticus has got kind of a uh, a very very quiet, even more reserved. Hank Hill vibe. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Um, and then it's just kind of a quick portrait of Atticus paying for his brother to become a doctor and just kind of being the um, sort of the moral center of his family and, and right. by extension, the town. Um, quick portrait of Maycomb. Um, very hot, very slow, very poor. It's in the middle of um, the Great Depression. It just kind of started. 
Uh, but it looks like Roosevelt just got elected because it says uh, it was a time for vague optimism for some of the people. Bacon County had recently been told that it had nothing to fear but fear itself. <laughs> Like oh okay, <laughs> like FDR said. Yeah, that was uh, in in his inaugural speech. So this was probably 1932. Um, we lived on the main. Re- so they they live in town. Uh, they have a house in town. They're not rural. Um, yeah, it's kind of cool because already you see playing out like the teacher lives two doors down. The the Radleys live a few doors down the other way. It's like this is the main stretch. This of is things the professionals. Are these are this is the rural people. But also, I think I wanted I we talked about it before is that. A lot, a lot has gone on to to say like, "Hey, this is a middle class family." It mentions they have a cook that lives with them, right? Um, and I think we talked about we're just like Nick was also decidedly middle class, like he was, and I think it's a, a move in American literature to have like the middle class person be a reliable narrator. Yeah, in an American novel, right? Yeah, because he's able to hang out with poor people and not judge too harshly, and he's able to to be accepted by them. But he's also able to look at rich people and not be too dazzled to notice their flaws. Yeah, he could be um, the everyman. Yeah, it's the ideal American figure is the guy who makes his own work, still has to work for a living, but yeah. has some comforts and is comfortable, educated and comfortable around rich people. Um, Calpurnius uh, portrait real quick, just like a, a stern cook uh, who always like frequently got in fights with Scout and Atticus always took her side. And then, just in a sentence, our mother died when I was two, right. so I never felt her absence. So that's the third death of the chapter. It's why it's why they have a live-in cook, probably, it yeah. seems like. Yeah, yeah. Atticus is always gone uh, for the law. But that's also what, a, what a, a tragic portrait of Atticus, is that finishes law school, uh, first two clients are hung in front of him, <laughs> and then his young wife dies. Starts his family, young, young wife dies. So his source of joy and comfort from his tough job is is gone. Yeah. It's, but he still remains this tragic moral center of this town. Uh, yeah. So there, she was a, she was a younger woman too. Fifteen years his junior. Gem first product. Yeah, and then just this this little there's a lot of little sad details about characters. I did not miss her, but I think Jem did. He remembered her clearly, and sometimes in the middle of the game, he would sigh at length and go off and play by himself behind the car house. When he was like that, I knew better than to bother him. So that's so much for a four-year-old to see. It's like it's like, and also, but it's also the simplest possible sign that someone is sad as they go and play by themselves. Yeah, she's just reading so much into so little. Yeah, just a little portrait of a, a grieving boy. It's like oh, yeah. all of a sudden he stops playing and then he goes play by himself. It's like she gets, she understands grief, but just in this very specific way. Yes. Um, let's see here. Uh, then I'm just kind of a portrait of the limitations of the town. A lot is put into describing this town and area. The whole book is going to be so many minor characters. That's why I'm interested in the, in the movie. At the, we'll watch that at the end just because, yeah. like, I wonder what the they're going to have to cut. Yeah. We'll, go, we'll go see the Broadway play. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's uh, I picture, Aaron Sorkin wrote it. Yeah, I heard, I heard Aaron Sorkin talking about it on a podcast, and so now I picture... Aaron Sorkin is Atticus Fidge because he's just like <laughs> like a just like a like a stand up straight sort of like a stand and deliver kind of kind of guy like a lot of hard principles and and, yeah. and tragic backstory yeah that is that is Atticus would be a uh, uh, God what is it? a Sorkin Sor- character Sorkin character a Sorkinian a Sorkinian uh, character yeah you can tell he's just got so much, such crushed a huge by the weight crush. of his principles 
And deprived of the easy joys of life. Yeah. And Sorkin has a man crush on Finch, clearly. I don't yeah, know, I guess. absolutely. Yeah. I think he's probably the uh, one of the models for the president of uh, the his, what's it, uh, West Wing? West Wing, <laughs> yeah. Tough uh, but fair. Tough but fair. Jeff Bartlett. Um, and then we meet Dill. And do you know the fun fact about Dill? He's a pickle. <laughs> He's a pickle. <laughs> uh, yes, that's true. That's all. That's what I was gonna say. <laughs> that's canon. That's canon. Sorry to get out of you there. Didn't want to spoil it, but still is a pickle. <laughs> they, don't, they, don't, they don't really spoil. Uh, pickles. Go ahead. It's Truman Capote. Uh, they grew up in the same town. What? Yes. Dill is Truman Capote. <laughs> yeah, young Truman Capote. <laughs> so it's like this really fanciful little boy. That's that's who Dill is. <laughs> I haven't read any Truman Capote either. Yeah, there's a conspiracy that, um, and it's it's not really true with that much respect, but that Truman Capote secretly wrote this book for her. Ooh. Uh, early one morning. Yeah, this is so funny how it introduces uh, Dill to. Like, all these character introductions are great. Early one morning as we were beginning our day's play in the, in the backyard, Jim and I heard something next door in Miss Rachel Haverford's collared patch. We went to the wire fence to see if there was a puppy. Miss Rachel's rat terrier was expecting... Instead, we found someone sitting looking at us. Sitting down, he wasn't much higher than the collards. We stared at him until he spoke. We stared at him until he spoke. <laughs> but also, just such a quick detail of like Miss Rachel's rat terrier was expecting is that you suddenly th- think of this character as like a rat terrier puppy. Is like, <laughs> oh yeah, right. He might as well be this, one of these puppies. Yeah, and then just hey, hey yourself," said Jim pleasantly. <laughs> I'm I, Charles Baker Harris. I can read. I love that. <laughs> I can read. Just yeah, just the introduction. So what? I just thought that it, you you'd like to know. I can read. You got anything needs reading? I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> I can do it. How old are you? Four and a half. Going on seven. Shoot, no wonder then," said Jim, jerking his thumb at me. Scouts yonder been reading ever since she was born, and she ain't even started school yet. You look right puny for going on seven. I'm little, but I'm old. <laughs> Why don't you come over, Charles Baker Harris? Lord, what a name. It's not any funnier than yours. Our angel says your name's Jeff- Jeremy Atticus Finch. I'm big enough to fit mine. Your name's longer than you are, but it's a foot longer. <laughs> Folks call me Dill. <laughs> <laughs> so he doesn't even concede that he has a nickname until the other guy, like, kind of, he's like, you're shorter than your name. <laughs> your name's longer than you. So funny. These are very clever kids. Yeah, I but and hey. just that like little portrait of a very innocent interaction, but <laughs> already there's like he tries to establish dominance by saying I can read, I and can then read. he's undercut by like she can read, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and your name's long. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so then he, another little quick portrait yeah. of Dill was from Meridian, Mississippi, was spending the summer with his aunt Miss Rachel, and would be spending every summer make home from now on. So so quickly the exposition is like hit upon of like. You can almost hear like a narrator in the movie being like, "This is this," and yeah. like, um, and there's little details of it. Dill had seen Dracula, right? He tells him all the things. Um, that he's a good, he's a good play, he's a good playmate. He plays all the the, the characters that the Scout didn't want to play. He doesn't yeah. have to be, doesn't have to be like different bad characters. Um, and then pretty quickly we get to the Boo Radley thing. Yes, so the Radley place fascinated Dill. In spite of her warnings and explanations, it drew him as the moon draws water. And I, I like that phrase a lot. That's a phrase that you pointed out when I said it wasn't pretty. And I was like, all right, it's pretty. But drew him no nearer than the light pole in the corner, a safe distance from the Radley gate. And so this I can really picture. Is that a little boy earnestly staring 
at uh, basically the town haunted house. And just holding, and holding onto the light bulb because yeah. he's so afraid it's going to pull him As in. As if it's something, yeah. There he would stand, his arm around the fat pole, staring and wondering. And then, uh, there's another, like, really... It could, I mentioned it almost feels like a memoir. Like, it's someone trying to, like, all right, here's all the information that you're going to need as I tell you this crazy story from my life. But there, I feel like there's such warmth in all, all of these descriptions of this crazy town. The rally place jutted into a sharp curve beyond our house. Walking south, one faced his porch. The sidewalk turned and ran beside the lot. The house was low. Once was white with a deep front porch and green shutters, but had long ago darkened to the color of the slate gray yard around it. Rain rotted shingles drooped over the eaves of the veranda. Oak trees kept the sun away. The remains of a picket drunkenly guarded the front yard, a swept yard that was never swept, where Johnson grass and rabbit tobacco grew in abundance. Inside the house lived a malevolent phantom. <laughs> That's wild. People said he existed, but Gemini had never seen him. So they, they go into a description of, of Boo Radley, right? Yes. <clears throat> the story is that one random day, correct me, this is what I, this is what I recall. I mean, like, we'll, we'll check this. But, like, uh, uh, wait, first of all, they all got in trouble. All his sons got in trouble, right? No. So Boo hangs out with the Cunninghams. Uh, we'll meet the Walter bad, later. Bad boys. Uh, the, they're very poor. Uh but they were being difficult. They were they would get rowdy, drink some whiskey every once in a while. The Radleys are like, even though their house is run down, as it's described as it's like this gross place that isn't barely upkept. Um, they're very proud religious people. So religious they don't even go to church because they they think worship should be in private. Um, and so Boo hanging out with the Cunninghams and getting in trouble one night. Uh, the old old town, like I think it's called a constable, is like just the oldest cop on the force. Arrest them all, and uh, he wants them to pay for their consequences. It's such a small town, and it's like they get arrested for swearing in front of the presence of a lady. <laughs> yeah, and it's such a little thing of like they were swearing so loud. I'm well, they're sure also <laughs> they were they like they like they they locked in. Yeah, they locked somebody in the outhouse. Yeah, they, they locked. They I think were, they, they locked the cop in the outhouse. <laughs> they had stole a crappy car from someone's backyard. Right. They were getting into teenage mischief, uh, but this Methodist father. Didn't like his teenage son doing that. So the rest of the Cunninghams got sent to essentially state-funded private school. Yeah. Or, I mean, state-funded boarding school. They, it was funny because like, it's called like, the industrial school, and it's like really, the only punishment is it's really good school. Yeah, like, it's like <laughs> they get good food. I mean, one of them went to Auburn afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was no shame, and it was no punishment, but Mr. Redley saw it as such. And so essentially this rebel teenage boy is locked away uh, in his room and never really let out. Um and then one strange day, uh, Mrs. Mrs. Radley runs out of the house uh, screaming that Boo is going to kill them all. As it turns out that while he was cutting up coupons from the newspaper, Boo stabbed his father in the leg with scissors very quickly, pulled them out, and then resumed cutting up. The <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That like, yeah, he got right back to work. And then Mr. Radley, out of such Southern pride, was like, "He don't, don't put him in a mental hospital. He's not crazy. He's just high-strung sometimes. <laughs> so obsessed with shame and pride that, like, his own son that he basically trapped in a room for 30 years has an understandable mental breakdown, and uh, he's still like, yeah, oh. So, okay, so, yeah, Boo Radley is like he's somewhere in his – he's an adult when he does this, right? Or yeah, like, he uh, something like he was 33. Let me see here. Yeah, uh, so Mrs. Radley ran screaming into the street that Arthur was killing them all. But when the sheriff arrived, he found Boo still sitting in the living room, cutting up the Tribune. 
He was 33 years old then. Okay. So this is a 33-year-old man stabbing his father in the leg with scissors. Uh, so this is like the neighborhood legend. It's this crazy man who lives in his parents' house. His parents are unfriendly people. Even before the incident, yeah, no one was allowed to visit. Uh, yeah. They worshipped in private. Their house was poorly kept. It was dark. There was like tree over everything, so everything was dark and shaded. Um, they didn't have a patio. So they a lot is put into like this house is not one of people that want to see people. Yeah. Even before the big, yeah, even, even before, before the yeah. big thing that happened. Yeah. And so he's, Boo has become this local legend of, like, anytime small things go missing or anytime, like, there was a string of of uh, mutilated animals that they right. assumed was Boo. Turns out to be this Addy. crazy Addy who drowned himself in the river, which is, No, like, not in the river, because <laughs> this made me laugh. He drowned himself in the eddy. Crazy Addy drowned in the eddy, right? Yes. Uh, the E-D-D-Y. E-D-D-Y. Yeah, so like, <laughs> which is the fourth death of the first, <laughs> and this supposedly peaceful small town, we have the town lunatic, <laughs> we've got uh, two murderers who refuse to back down, <laughs> and we have a, a poor uh, poor lawyer who lost his wife at a very young age. Yeah, wait, which one's crazy? Well, lunatic is Boo Radley, also Crazy Eddie, too. Yeah, Crazy Eddie, who's- that was d- Drowned in the Eddie. Drown- yeah. Boo, man. But essentially, this Boo Radley occupies all the children's imaginations because he's a terrifying figure. There's so much he's never seen. He's very mysterious. His house is terrifying from the ex- external. Uh, he had this one crazy incident that built his le- uh, legend, uh, and all the small town mysteries are attributed to him. And of course, that's going to occupy <laughs> yeah. essentially young Truman Capote's imagination. <laughs> uh, so after that, like. Oh, I think there's uh, – we were talking about this before, but Atticus's response to uh, the scissor incident. Um, let's see here. Uh, yeah, let's see. Let's see if I can find where Atticus basically – the guy gets stabbed in the leg, and Atticus's response is, mm-mm-mm. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then one day uh, – I do – I would do really like this uh, – they described it as a guy who does nothing is someone who buys cotton. <laughs> buys cotton. Well, it's like, I, I feel like he does. I mean, like it's like I feel like they're like a financial. They have like a they have like a fine. They finance things. And they yeah, get like money living from off some family money. Right. Yeah. Bought He's kind of buying cotton. He's yeah. bought. Yeah. What did you do for a living? He bought cotton. Um. So and then Mr. The older Mr. Radley dies. The brother of Boo moves in. Essentially the same person. Just very boring. Very uptight. Private person. A little, he he's talks to the kids, like one or two words, instead of coughing at them. Yeah, <laughs> instead of coughing in response to hello. Yeah, the young Mr. Radley. But still, we don't see Boo Radley, right? That's the thing. He's We don't see Boo. The The essential arc of this is of this book is trying to get Boo to come out. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a, bunch of, a whole bunch of other stuff going on. <laughs> but what this 10-year-old or the 6-year-old cares about <clears throat> is trying to get this figure to come out of his haunted house. And he and that's that's essentially her arc. Uh, while everything else is going on in the town, the one crazy summer. That one crazy summer. It's a bunch of summers too. That's the other thing about this book is that it's such a longer timeline than the other ones. Okay, nice. Gatsby is one crazy summer. Yeah. Catching the Rye is one crazy weekend. <laughs> Not even. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's like four or five days. Yeah. And then this is uh, I think it's like five or six years. 
Spoiler alert. <laughs> time will pass. Time will pass in this <laughs> book. Uh, and then, so what starts it all, and then Dill dares Jem to go into their yard, into the Radley yard. Eczema. And this is a very funny, uh, so it starts like, wonder what he looks like, uh, said Dill. And this is, I love the sarcastic description. So this is Jem <laughs> describing Boo, but it starts off with, Jem gave a reasonable description of Boo. Boo was about six and a half feet tall, judging from his tracks. He dined on raw squirrels and any cats he could catch. That's why his hands were bloodstained. If you ate an animal raw, you could never wash the blood off. There was a long, jagged scar that ran across his face. What teeth he had were yellow and rotten. His eyes popped, uh, and he drooled most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> I love that if, if you eat an animal raw, it'll, <laughs> you never get the blood off of your hands. Yeah, it's so much magical. Blood. It's got uh, like kind of like small-town superstition and yeah but with with this like subtle new york sarcasm underneath all of it right right it's like right yeah kind of riley reporting this jim gave a reasonable description of boo yeah and it's like he ate we're dead squirrels and <laughs> he's six and a half feet tall that's really tall uh yeah let's try to make him come out said dill i'd like to see what he looks like jim said if dill wanted to get himself killed all he had to do was go up and knock on the front door uh and then they get bored uh because what is it? Our first rate can pass only because Dill bet Jim the Great Ghost against two Tom Swifts that Jim wouldn't get any further than the Radley Gate. In all his life, Jim had never declined a dare. So it's just like simple, like boyhood pride. <laughs> Gotta do it. Jim thought about it for three days. I suppose he loved honor more than his head. For Dill wore him down easily. I love this of just Dill being such a jerk. He's like, "You're scared." Dill said the first day. "Ain't scared, just respectful." Jim said. The next day, Dill said, you're too scared even to put your big toe in the front yard. Jim said he reckoned he wasn't. He'd pass the Radley place every school day of his life. Always running, I said. So <laughs> <laughs> even Scout, yeah. Scout's, scout's like, you involved. are scared. <laughs> yeah, Scout's getting involved. Always running. But Dill got him the third day when he told Jim that folks in Meridian certainly weren't as afraid as the folks in Maycomb, that he'd never seen such scary folks as the one in Maycomb. <laughs> <laughs> so he's just like, in Mississippi, we ain't this scared. <laughs> and a whole it, different thing, yeah. Yeah, that was enough to make Jim march to the corner. Uh... I hope you got it through your head that it'll kill us each and every one, Dill Harris, said Jim. Don't blame me when he gouges your eyes out. You started it, remember? You're still scared, murmured Dill patiently. <laughs> <laughs> so Jim tries one more time, like, and the, yeah, he's uh, rebuffed. Uh, Jim wanted Dill to know once and, all for all, once and for all that he wasn't scared of anything. It's just that I can't think of a way to make him come out without him getting us. Besides, Jim had his little sister to think of. And this is such a nice little detail moment. When he said that, I knew he was afraid. Jim had his little sister think of the time I dared him to jump off the top of the house. <laughs> if I get killed, what would become of you, he asked. Then he jumped, landed on hurt, and his sense of responsibility left him until he confronted by the rattling place. <laughs> <laughs> he only thinks about it really like he's in it's real like, oh, danger. Yeah, he's like, if I die, what will happen to her? <laughs> like He's trying to use his honor for his sister to get out of bears. <laughs> uh, let's see here. And then, then there was a, this little argument about making turtles come out of their shell. So the bet, I mean, like the bet is to is that Jem won't step to on the property, and, right? Yeah, step on but the property, becomes, and then he go, and it escalates to touch the front door. Yeah, but also the overall goal is to get Blue Radley to come out. I don't really get this. The logic kind of leaps here. Yeah, so it it's slowly escalates. Of he wants to see them. Yeah, and then it's like, but they're all scared, and they have no idea how to do that. And so Dill's just like. Hey, why don't you why don't you go in the yard see what happens? Yeah, to go in the yard. So it's just a bunch of curiosity of like they want this big thing, but they're poking and trying to gain confidence into 
get it. Right, right. So this first goal is just to touch the front door without dying. Uh, let's see here. And it's the it's like uh, their their idea is it's like trying to get a turtle to come out of a shell. You let a match under the underneath yeah. his shell. So yeah, and then here's the concession. Jim stood and thought so long that Dill made a mild concession. I won't say you ran out on Dara, and I'll swap you the great ghost if you just go up and touch the house. Jim Brighton touch the house. That all. So now it's like okay, I don't have to see Boo Radley. Yeah, I just have to hit his house just real quick. Concrete. Sure, that's all now. I don't want you hollering something different the minute I get back. Yes, that's all, said Dill. He'll probably come out after you when he sees you in the yard. Then Scout me will jump on him and hold him down so we can tell him we ain't going to hurt him. <laughs> so this is their view of this uh, grown We're not going to hurt you. <laughs> is that they're going to – these small a small seven-year-old and a four-year-old girl <laughs> are going to tackle this six-foot-six man <laughs> to convince him they're not going to hurt him. He's more afraid of you than you are of him. <laughs> But this whole thing is so funny of these children, just like the monsters in their head. Um, let's see here. We'll go on. Scouting me is right behind you. I'm going, said Jim. Don't hurry me. He walked to the corner of the lot, then back again, studying the simple terrain as if deciding how best to effect an entry, frowning and scratching his head. Then I sneered at him. Jim threw open the gate and sped to the side of the house, slapped it with his palm, and ran back past us, not waiting to see if his foray was successful. Bill and I followed on his heels. Safely on our porch, panting out of breath, we looked back. The old house was the same, droopy and sick, but as we stared down the street, we thought we saw an inside shutter move. Flick. A tiny, almost invisible movement, and the house was still. Just a little so They drop. saw nothing, but they imagined they seeing imagined, a flick. They imagined seeing him looking through the curtain. But maybe later in the book, Boo Radley comes out, yada, yada, yada. Who knows? Maybe someone kills Boo Radley. Is that what happens? Maybe. I'm not saying. Uh, I think it is a murder now, because I was thinking maybe it was a rape. I don't know. Okay. Chapter two. And now we start the school year. The school year. So Scout has not even been to school yet. I yeah, realize. she's so young that she hadn't been to school yet. This she is the goes to first grade, which I guess at one point was the first grade. <laughs> yeah. And not the second grade after no. kindergarten. Then they added kindergarten and then they added preschool. Pre-K. <laughs> yeah. Which is like, okay, we realize that we're better at doing this than the parents are. Let's get them yeah, <laughs> in let's, here. As we need them in here. Bring them in here. Uh, so Dill's gone. So Dill is just a summer character. Right. Uh, so she's all excited about school, which is also a very, like, I remember that feeling of, yep. like, oh boy, here we go. School. And there's a good portrait of an older brother at school. Oh yeah, don't, yeah, it just says don't, yeah, don't tell me. We can't play Tarzan and the Ant-Man. We can't do all that stuff like, you know, like we do at home. <laughs> I, the phrase, uh, I was not to approach him with a request to enact a chapter or to embarrass him with references to his private life. <laughs> references to his, his private, private life. life. <laughs> a seven-year-old, yeah. Don't embarrass me with references to my private life. Or tag along That's behind him at recess and noon. <laughs> I was to stick with the first grade and he would stick with the fifth. In short, I was to leave him alone. Just all the conditions. Like, cause I, I had two younger exactly. brothers and I remember being like, all right, like, I'll see you, but like, I got I got my... Re- I remember... You could say so hello, just with my move repu- along. <laughs> so concerned with my reputation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, of course, of course. I had cousins, and I had older older siblings and younger younger siblings, and there was an understanding. And it's oh. like, we're doing our school thing right now, okay? <laughs> Don't mention Power Rangers. We're not <laughs> talking about that right now. Yeah, that's for later. <laughs> for later. So they have that talk. Um, new teacher, Miss Caroline Fisher. Uh, new teacher, no more than 21. Uh, and... 
she patted the palm of her hand with a ruler. I like that. Like later, it's described as like I realized that she was beating me. <laughs> yeah. Like it was so it was so light that it wasn't even like a real beating. Yeah, this portrait of Miss Caroline is so funny, and now I understand it more now because I used to read it. I was like, yeah, twenty one. Like oh, before, don't, like uh, when no. I was in middle school, like an old woman, <laughs> an old middle aged woman. Jeez. Um, but now it's like just thinking of you as a young teacher and yeah. like just any twenty one year old in this situation. It, I really feel for this woman. <laughs> yeah, she's under a lot of stress, and I understand. Yes. Um, so, so the I, I I do like the little detail of she boarded across the street, one door down from us, and Miss Matt Atkinson's upstairs front room. And when Miss Maddie introduced us to her, Jim was in a haze for days. Right. So this is like Scout understanding the sexual power of this woman. Yeah. Right? This is a beautiful young twenty-one-year-old woman. Right. Um. So she like begins the class, and she's she tells a story about cats. About kittens that live in a little imaginary world and stuff like that, and then there's a there's a point where Miss um, Caroline seemed unaware that the that the ragged denim shirted and flower set skirted first grade, most of whom had chopped cotton and fed hogs from the time they were able to walk, were immune to imaginative literature. What do you ta- make of this? I she's being condescending about like this. These are rural people. They don't want to hear about imagining about like a cat and a little house and like but what does that have to do with that what does it, being rural have to do with i don't really get it. it's like they're over it they they're not they're not frivolous little kids yeah i think yeah. she's saying that like they've killed hogs and they've gotcha. like had to work 10 hour days like th- this is basically steel workers she's condescending to them she yeah. like she's trying to be light and fun to what she imagined because it's mentioned i love this detail this is i am miss carolina fisher i am from north alabama from winston county and the class murmured apprehensively, should she prove to her, harbor her share of the peculiarity, peculiarities indigenous to that region? <laughs> right. And it's like the cool part of it's the it's, it's the it's seceded liberal. from Alabama when they seceded from the Union. It's yeah, yeah. like you said, it's the Austin of Alabama. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what? Yeah, what this teacher is is a 20, young twenty-one year old from the cool part of town right. coming to hang out with these rural, hardened children, and having no understanding that they are not they didn't have the same easy life that she had. Sure. They've already had a hard time. Right. Going along with that, I mean, like, the reading thing goes with that. Like, she writes the letters on the board and says, does anybody know what these are? <laughs> Everybody, this is all another sarcastic line. Everybody did. The most of the first grade had failed it last year. <laughs> like, they are all back again. I also um, really like this joke line about North Alabama was full of liquor interests, big mules, steel companies, Republicans, professors, and other persons of no background. <laughs> of no background. Professors. <laughs> professors, <laughs> Republicans. <laughs> Steel companies, yeah. Big mules. Yeah, it was. That's it's so funny to just hear it described like that. Um, yeah, the, most of the classes failed in the first year. Yeah, it's such a, a, a harsh portrait of like these children have hard lives. It's Great Depression, rural Alabama. Yeah. Uh. So right. So. Uh, but then she discovers that Scout is literate. She asks Scout to read. <laughs> Um, and then she, which is also such a first year teacher thing, sounds like of Miss Caroline told me to tell my father not to teach me anymore. It would interfere with my reading. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a like a like a like a critique of education. Obviously, it's like is that like it's not happening the way it's supposed to be ha- like happening. So it's wrong. Yeah. Um. He hasn't taught me anything, Miss Caroline. A- Atticus ain't got time to teach me anything. When he's so, he's so tired at night, he just sits in the living room and reads. So like right there that's when she learned to read, sort of, yeah, right? Just it's like, like from reading with him. Sort of portraits of her sitting on her lap just trying to follow along with his law books. Yeah. But also what like a sad 
portrait of a man. He comes home from work and then just sits in his couch. <laughs> right. It's the jo- new TV. Barely acknowledges his children. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, she does. If he didn't teach her, who did? Miss Caroline asked good naturedly. Somebody did. You weren't born reading the mobile register. And then Scout says, "Jim says I was." <laughs> and he earlier he she did. He said, yeah. like, wait, when, before, wait when she was born." Um, my name's really uh, Jean Louise Bullfinch. That I got swapped when I was born, and I'm really. A, and she's like, "Well, let's not get our imagination yeah. carried away with us here." Um. So. Right, and then yeah, the line, you tell him I'll take over from here and try to undo the damage. Undo the damage. Man, your father does not know how to teach. You can have a seat now. Uh, so she's really upset about it. Um, and then having not been able to read, she goes th- um, through this thing about how everything that comes naturally to you when it's missing, uh, you really miss it. Right? Until I feared I would lose it, I never loved to read. One does not love breathing. Famous line. Yeah. I, that's awesome. I've seen that in tote bags. Yeah, that's uh, that's on port. That's on college dorm posters. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's like a reading a, is breathing to that's me. That's a Facebook pro, like a uh, background pick. That's how smart I am. Uh, yeah, and then she just kind of oh, this. I she talk, he talks to Jim about Miss Caroline, and just about school. If I didn't have to stay, I'd leave Jim. That damn lady says Atticus has been teaching me to read and for him to stop it. Don't worry, Scout. Jim covered me. Our teacher says Miss Caroline's introducing a new way of teaching. She learned about it in college. It'll be in all grades soon. You don't have to learn much out of books that way. It's like if you want to learn about cows, you go milk one, see? Uh, yeah, Jim, but I don't want to study cows. Uh, sure you do. You have to know about cows. They're a big part of <laughs> life in Macomb Country. And then this, I love this understated line. I contented myself with asking Jim if he'd lost his mind. <laughs> have you lost your mind? <laughs> <laughs> so sarcastic. I don't get though. Like it's funny. Like, um, like the if you have to learn about cows, you should milk a cow. That makes sense. Experiential education is really mm. good. But then it's like, is Miss Caroline really doing that? No, she's kind of mad. No. She's confronted with like the they're not blank slates. You know, that's what she's confronted with. They're not just like yeah, yeah. She was hoping to get like just clay to mold into right. her college educated image and this tough rural town. Also, the system that she's using is not the Dewey Decibel system. <laughs> yeah. Also, this is information we're getting from Jim, the a Dewey guy Decibel. in the fifth grade. <laughs> that is so funny. It's like, yeah, that's a system that teachers do use, but this is not what she's using the Dewey Decimal system for. It's a library coding yeah. system. <laughs> and this, like, such dry, like, she, this is going to almost be like a, uh, she could almost be like a Wes Anderson character. It is like a sketch. She's holding up, just holding <laughs> up a card that says cat and not even doing anything else. She's just holding it up a card that says man and then the and then cat. <laughs> and the phrase, uh, yeah, so yeah, Miss Caroline waving cards at us, which were printed the cat, rat, man, and you. No comment seemed to be expected of us, and the class received these impressionistic revelations in silence. <laughs> <laughs> impressionistic revelation. It's like a that's like, like an a, art one a beautiful, beautiful phrase, but two, it's also such a cutting, sarcastic thing to say. Just a bunch of rural children being like, yeah. "All right." <laughs> I love. She starts writing a letter, and she goes, "Besides, we don't write in the first grade; we print. You won't learn to write until you're in third grade." <laughs> <laughs> it's like she's writing right now. What are you doing? Yeah, so no, funny. it's such like a first year innocent. Naive teacher. So uh, uh, Calparina taught her to write. I like Calparina's uh, mode of teaching is that like uh, she's Calparina's bored. It's rainy day. So he's like, well, if you can copy this Bible verse flawlessly, I'll give you a piece of toast <laughs> with butter and, and sugar on it. Um, and Calparina's teaching there was no sentimentality. I seldom pleased her and she seldom rewarded me. 
like yeah, tough. just already you get such a portrait of her world. Of yeah. like her older brother Jem is all about bravery and acts of of toughness and honor. Dill is like this imaginative little boy who like loves stories. Yeah, scrappy. Uh, she's like this precocious reader that like is too smart for her own good. Atticus is a sad, quiet lawyer, and the town is just like a, a like a beautifully pictured like rural town. It's great. From there, we go right into some class issues. Class issues. When Miss Caroline asked everyone to bring their lunch, put their lunch on the table if they brought a lunch, or if they didn't bring a lunch, they're gonna buy one, raise their hand, or whatever. Yeah. And we see Walter Cuttingham doesn't have a lunch, right? Yeah. And then, uh, <laughs> uh, did you forget your lunch? Walter doesn't say anything. Did you forget th- this morning? Uh, he said, and he says yes. And he, then Caroline, Miss Caroline, gives him a quarter. You can pay him back tomorrow. And then Walter says no. This is all just a. Um, she tries to make him take it. Walter won't take it. And then they they all look over to Scout like you've already been you've already fighting with this woman. Can you just have this one other fight with her, please? But we're like I like this. Like everyone knows. Like everyone everyone knew that she was from that one part of Alabama that that was kind of you know yeah. uppity or whatever whatever they would call it. Professors and Republicans. Yeah, they all have an understanding of what's going on, and they all understand that Scout is the person to do this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I conferred twice already, and they were looking at me in the innocent assurance that familiarity breeds understanding. And I love her how brief her explanation goes. She goes, I rose graciously on Walter's behalf. Uh, Miss Caroline, what is it, Jean Louise? Miss Caroline, he's a Cunningham. I sat back down. <laughs> I sat back down, right. Like, I rest my case. <laughs> in the vernacular of their town, as they understand it, Cunningham is synonymous with this kind of poor person. Like that's all you need poverty. to know. He doesn't, he's not going to have any money. <laughs> yeah, he's a proud, poor person. That's, he, that's, he's not going to take your quarter. He doesn't, he doesn't have a lunch. And you're torturing him by making an offer of Just this stop. quarter. Yeah, right. <clears throat> yeah, I thought I had made things sufficiently clear. It was clear enough to the rest of us. Walter Cunningham was sitting there lying his head off. He didn't forget his lunch. He didn't have any. He had none today, nor would he have any tomorrow nor, or the next day. He'd probably never seen three quarters together at the same time in his life. It is beautiful if you've ever seen three quarters together. Yeah. Especially in New York, you know. In New York? My God. <laughs> I tried again. Walter's one of the Cunninghams, Miss Caroline. I beg your pardon, Jean Louise? That's okay, ma'am. You'll get to know all the country folks after a while. The Cunninghams never took anything they can't pay back. No church baskets and no script stamps. They never took anything off anybody. They get along on what they have. They don't have much, but they get along on it. So it's like a, a yeah, just a, a quick portrait of a proud but deeply poor family. Yeah, and then I I love the I love the uh, the the Atticus. I mean, and this is where you see Atticus in in work, right? He works with one of the Cunninghams, and uh, I don't know how I'm going to pay you. Um, and then and then he says, "Don't worry about it." And then he ends up getting wood and chestnuts and stuff over the course of the year. Yeah, and Atticus like he more than paid me back. Right, and it is a nice little portrait of like the professionals in rural towns. Uh, Atticus said professional people were poor because the farmers were poor. As Macomb County was farm country, nickels and dimes were hard to come by for doctors and dentists and lawyers. Entailment was only a part of Mr. Cunningham's vexations. The acres were not entailed, were mortgaged to the hilt, and the little cash he made went to interest. If he held his mouth right, Mr. Cunningham could get a WPA job, but his land would go to ruin if he left it, and he was willing to go hungry to keep his land and vote as he pleased. Uh, oh, and vote as he pleased. Yeah. So this is like Oh, he could get a government job in the middle of the depression, but he would, he couldn't. They would eventually take his land away. Right. Uh, where did it say? Because I think it was something like there's a doctor who will deliver babies for a, a right bushel. Of yeah, yeah. Doctor Reynolds works the same way. He charges some folks a bushel of potatoes for delivering a baby. Yeah, I think I think what was it? Jem describes it. Uh, let's see here. <laughs> 
Is that is is your tail is it's tail, an entailment? Yeah, your in tail the, getting stuck between <laughs> your legs. Is it entitlement? Uh, is it? I th- I think it's related to like government land use. Okay, entailment. That he had to defend his uh, use of his land, and <laughs> that if you let it go away, like they were going to give it to other people. Shev's um, definitions are very nearly accurate sometimes. So yeah, uh, let's see here. You're shaming him, Miss Caroline. Walter hasn't got a quarter to home to bring to you, and you can't use any stove wood. <laughs> so, like, she's right, but this this 21 year old teacher who, again, is has her authority challenged by this, this like accidentally by this five year old girl. So, can we can maybe can maybe I take this as it's a foreshadowing of like, okay, Miss Caroline is the system, and the system is confronting uh, the system as it is. It's confronting the way things have been done for a long time, right? And so, like, yep. Miss Caroline comes in with good intentions, and she has this system. But the system doesn't fit with guys like Walter Cunningham. It doesn't fit that way. Doesn't mm. sorry, you don't know this, but it doesn't fit that way. The system's not gonna work that way. Yeah. I think it's a satire of sort of liberals and their en- engagement with poverty. Yeah. Because they have no understanding that poor people have a deep set of values. They see it as chaos, but it's like things work a very specific way around here. And you come in and you're like, I'm gonna mold these blank slates. These aren't blank slates. They're people with history and tradition. Right. right. Uh, and values, and there's things they won't do, and you trying to make them do that is hurting them. Yeah, it's like you think that no one has tried to give them a quarter before? Is that what you think? Yeah. So she's making fun, and probably a lot of New York liberals too, of like thinking they get college educated, they understand the world better than these poor people. Right. Where these poor people, they have a deep understanding of like exactly how much things cost. Um, and so it's just such a beautiful little portrait of a naive person trying to fix a problem she hasn't bothered to understand yet. Uh, and it's in the middle of the Great Depression in one of the poorest areas in, in America at the time. So it, just in this little thing, this little scene is like, oh, what a beautiful class analysis. Uh, and like political, like here's, she's from Northern Alabama, like it's all whole thing. Oh yeah, thanks Miss Caroline. Uh, and then Miss Caroline stood stock still, then grabbed me by the collar and hauled me back to her desk. Jean Louise, I've had enough about uh, had about enough of you this morning. You're starting off the wrong foot in every way, my dear. Hold out your hand. <laughs> I love uh, that. Then the red that it says, "I thought she was going to spit it in," which was <laughs> the only reason anybody would make them hold out their hand was for the time honored tradition of, of sealing <laughs> oral contracts. <laughs> I thought she's going like, to make a deal. Like, sp- <laughs> sp- <laughs> Yeah, just like uh, such deep traditions in this town, and it's children that only understand that, and then meeting an outsider who's also trying to teach them. Yeah. Wondering what bargain we had made. It's like, ah, what did we agree on? (laughs) I love, okay, Miss Caroline picked up her ruler, gave me half a dozen, or gave me, uh, yeah, half a dozen quick little pats that told me to stand in the corner. A storm of laughter broke out, broke loose when it finally occurred to the class that Miss Caroline had whipped me. (laughs) (laughs) Like, oh, that was the beating? So, again, it's like these kids probably have been, all been whatever. Like, I mean, like yeah. beaten by their parents or like or whatever. They, like, Even they like beaten by lives. teachers and like beating by Siblings. other people's parents. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> that was what your beating was? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I, I love I love this. Uh, when Miss Caroline threatened it with a similar fate, the first grade exploded again. They're like, I'll do that to all of you. <laughs> <laughs> Becoming cold sober only when the shadow of Miss Blount fell over them. Miss Blount, a native Macomian, as yet uninitiated in the mysteries of the decimal system, appeared at the door, ha- hands on hips, and announced, "If I ha- hear another sound from this room, I'll burn up everybody in it." <laughs> <laughs> and then Miss Blount threatens to burn them alive. 
<laughs> the sixth grade teacher walks in and says, I'm going to burn all of you little children alive. <laughs> yeah, she's had some experience teaching, yeah. Uh, Miss Caroline, the sixth grade cannot concentrate on the pyramids for all this racket. Uh, yeah. And then it's a really sad moment of my sojourn in the corner was a short one. Save with a bell, Miss Caroline watched the class file out for lunch. As I was the last to leave, I saw her sink down into her chair and bury her, in her head in her arms. Had her conduct been more friendly toward me, I would have felt sorry for her. She was a pretty little thing. That is uh, such a teaching feeling where it's like all the ki- all the kids leave and you just melt and you, it's like you've done you've done you've done everything you could and you failed and you, you yeah. just. That's her first day teaching and it's gone so bad. <sighs> She's lost the respect of the children. They laughed at her. They all she they beat a kid. Her face. <laughs> they all she tried to rescue a kid from poverty. Everyone was like no, and then she beat a kid and then they all laughed at her. Yeah. Should be rescued by her colleague. Yeah. Undermined. Undermined by a colleague who showed real authority in terrifying these children yeah. <laughs> by threatening to burn them alive. Did you have that moment when you when you, in the first couple of weeks? Of uh, like, totally. Yeah, yeah. Queer kids. Uh, yeah, a kid could totally just take control of the class. You have to like, uh, it, like a uh, yeah. Uh, it doesn't matter. Any strong voiced kid. It's like they realize that they can do it. They test it and then they yeah. They poke at the new ones and yeah. they, they look for weakness. You can't even yeah. You can't show any weakness. That's the whole problem. I mean, I think like I mean, but also if you feel like if you're like a stagey person at mm. all, you can you can manipulate the crowd pretty well. I think that's kind of the one of the skills a lot of teachers are they develop over the years is like sort of a stagecraft. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think <clears throat> my teachers uh, at high school used to joke that there's no smiling until Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> like you have to establish yourself as a stern disciplinarian, or they'll eat you alive. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's a really, that's a good point. Yeah. Of course. And then the old ones just have the reputation of like. They they were mean at some point, yeah. so they don't have to be mean anymore. <laughs> exactly. The 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 warning. All right. So, um, what what do I think is going to happen next? I think. Um, thank you for asking, Kevin. I I think um, we're going to see more of this, Miss Caroline. We're going to see more of the Boo Radley thing. Um, it seems like we're going to flash back to the next summer. That's what that's what it seems, that's what I've been gathering. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we're going to see we're going to have to see more of Atticus uh, doing what Atticus does in order to establish his sort of character as the do good lawyer yeah uh i would say what's remarkable of these two chapters is how, how exposition happy heavy it is because they have a lot to set up because the ambition of this project is to paint a portrait of a whole town the in town. the midst of a political crisis yeah yeah through the eyes of a 10 year old yeah and you have so and you already have like it's it's pretty that was, that was pretty efficient the that the class standing in for the town yeah, I mean, also there's some stuff with the with the Boo Radley that all the towns people would usually be visiting one another on Sundays, and the Radleys were not, and then the the, the towns a certain way, and the Radleys were not. So like it establishes the way the town is. We have a character, we have the town as a character with characteristics. Yeah, and this chapter is like interesting because there's only maybe like three told as it as if it was happening in front of them scenes. It's meeting Dill, it's touching the house. And it's this Miss Caroline thing, the school thing. Yeah, everything else is told in this sort of uh, this this summary tone, and it's still like pretty entertaining. Like yeah. she's funny, she's sarcastic. Like, uh, and there's like these little little nuggets of like, okay, because she, I feel like she knows like I gotta get through so much stuff for people like for people to understand what's yeah, going on in this right. town. Yeah, and a lot of information is 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 delivered in a pretty efficient way. Like 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 you know like with like Dill. Dill is here because his aunt is he's, he's here and like he's from this area. Da, da, da. And yeah. then and then we're in with Dill. And that way there's also too like I feel like Miss Caroline's supposed to stand in for the reader because I feel like she's anticipating the reader but like why are the people like this? And it's like 
you you get to know them and you'll understand you can't come in and try and just write them off like put your values on them immediately right yeah i uh not a, not a lot happens except for the the only thing that happens is a guy touches a house and windows flick <laughs> yeah right <laughs> and then a, a scout is beat on the hand <laughs> but yeah it's so much stage setting in the first two chapters but it's it's remarkable how the whole thing is like almost the whole thing is set up We've already been introduced to a very poor but very honorable uh, family. We've been introduced to Atticus and his little moments of honor of, like, very tired, very sad, but, like, works for free for the poor yeah, people. Yeah, he's a hero. Um, we got Scout, whose big thing is that she can read. She's smarter than, like, so she's, like, seen as, like, oh, this is a smart child, so, like, she can understand more than a child would. Yes, and even well, and through her narration, too, we're, under, we're seeing how much she can understand from a little from little things that are shown to children. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we're getting a lot from her. We got Jem, the uh, older brother. We've got Calpurnia, the cook. We got a general portrait of the neighborhood, mainly about the Radleys as this sort of dark yeah. dark hole in the middle of, of all this. But, yeah, I think as far as, like, expositional early chapters goes this, this one like I, I felt like I, I really enjoyed sort of the warmth of of these it was like reading a nice essay <laughs> yeah 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 no yeah it was, it was warm and it was friendly and kind of like kind of folksy um but smart I liked it a lot I liked her narration and just like little brief lines of like the impressionistic <laughs> imp- like when he's describing the letters and something like it what is the phrase because I, I loved it when I, I wrote it down uh, let's see here Oh, the when she's oh, holding yeah. up the cat. Yeah, rat, and the class man. received these impressionistic revelations in silence. Yeah, a revel- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, you've seen the word cat before, but what if a woman holds it up silently? <laughs> Ask it's nothing of you. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to say cat. You don't have to say C-A-T. <laughs> she doesn't say cat. <laughs> Do we write down cat? Do we? I love it. It's like, no, this is all part of the system. It gets in the brain somehow. Believe yeah. me. Impressionistic revelations in silence. Impressionistic revelations Such a beautiful little phrase. I don't know. And they stand out because it's so flat. The language is so flat and so, like, factually, here's what happened. This guy went here. This guy went there. This guy, like, because it's a huge amount of history going on. Like, there was a whole history of a family. There's a history of every single character. Yeah. Yeah, it's an impressive exhibition, and it's all and it's all told not in order not just just to tell it, but like in order to d- explain the Boo Radley thing and to explain the Miss Caroline thing, just kind of like as yeah, like you have to, to understand the stories. town, you have to understand the Radleys. Yeah, this is all to explain why Jim broke his arm. <clears throat> yeah, 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 just all just to explain how Jim broke his arm. But all yeah, right. I, uh, I, I, I'm excited to keep reading. I'm looking forward to to it to it too. I'm hooked. Uh, and I hope you are too. We'll catch you for episode two, starting with chapter three. Yeah, three and four. Sounds good. Uh, you can uh, find us on uh, social media. I'm at, on Twitter at Kevin Lopkovich. I'm on Instagram as Ha Hartnet. Uh, I also put out a uh, a new short story on my Medium. I think it's medium.com slash Kevin Lopko uh, if you want to check that out. Ooh, medium.com. How'd you get that? Oh, man. I submitted everything. I literally asked my friend, like, how did you get published on this website, medium.com? And he goes, um, anybody can be on it. <laughs> <laughs> he had to be like, I love your article. I <laughs> I'm glad Medium picked it up. <laughs> Congrats. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, and then and then look for, uh, follow us on fa- our podcast on Facebook. And yeah. We, and we might be adding some uh, other social media platforms too. Check uh, us out. Check us out. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.